0: Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. What a beautiful noise. God's children singing his praises. God, you are so worthy. You have done miracles in our lives. You are so worthy because you sent the darkness running and you reign above it all. And we just wanna draw close to you now. We just wanna seek you. So God, speak to us. May all who have ears hear. We love you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Well, good morning church it's good to be with you this morning super delighted welcome everybody who's joining us online uh, a couple weeks ago we were preaching we're preaching through second peter and a couple weeks ago we talked about the inerrancy and the authority of scripture so if you haven't watched that this kind of message comes out of that as well because Peter continues in chapter one then goes and talks about how the, uh, how the prophets were inspired by God. They were his words, they were not the prophet's words, they were God's words. And so that's how we get to scripture, this is God's word. And it is inerrant and it is authoritative and it is the ultimate truth. And so then out of that, Peter then writes and goes into then false teachings. And so we base the truth off of this, and then Peter goes into false teachings in chapter two. So we're in 2 Peter chapter two, okay? So turn there in your Bibles if you need. Use the Bible in your pew in front of you or on your app in your phone. We're going to be in Second Peter chapter two. But before we do that, I want to have a little fun, okay? Okay. Um, uh, to kind of introduce some kind of biblical literacy with our students, we oftentimes just kind of do some games uh, in Sunday school or different places. And so we're gonna do this game called "Is It in the Bible?" Okay, so you you guys humor me, okay, just for fun here. All right, I wanna see our biblical literacy here. So there's gonna be a famous quote on the screen, okay, and so you gotta decide: is this quote directly from scripture or is it from somebody else's famous words? Okay, so we're just gonna play together have some fun. Okay, lighten up. It's okay. All right, so here we go. Is it in the Bible? And there we go. Famous quote from the Bible or somewhere else, all right? So you can respond. It is okay for you to respond. If you're not sure, it's okay not to respond, okay? So here we go. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Thoughts? Is that in the Bible? Bible or not Bible? All right, so the answer is? Oh, it's in the Bible, good job. You guys passed the first one, well done, good job. That is uh, Jesus's words in Acts chapter uh, 20. So there we go, then we got the next one. God won't give you more than you can handle. Oh, good job, you guys were quick. You're like, no, it's not. You know, what's the point of God if you can handle everything, right? So correct, yes, it is not in the Bible. That is just taken out of context—a scripture verse that God that says God will not be, let you be tempted beyond your ability. Okay, so you are correct. Well done, guys. You've passed in so far. All right, next one: You reap what you sow. Ooh, that one was a little hesitant. I don't know. Sorry about that one. Uh, sounds like. I don't know, all right, so I'll give you guys, I'll I'll go ahead and say, yes, it's in the Bible, good job. All right, so hopefully you think, all right. uh, It's in the Bible, Galatians chapter six, Paul says this in Galatians six, seven, all right. The next one, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible, good job, you are correct, that is not in the Bible. It is made by Benjamin Franklin, who wasn't even a believer, so. All right, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword that is in the Bible, Jesus says that. Yeah, and Jesus says that to Peter when he cuts off the ear, all right? So Matthew 26, uh, 52. Cleanliness is next to godliness. (laughs) Did your mama ever say that to you? Yeah, mine too. Like, cleanliness is next to godliness. All right, that is not in the Bible, although it is a famous quote by John Wesley. We do like that dude, all right? So he's pretty cool, he said that. All right, the Lord works in mysterious ways like no answers no one's gonna confidently proclaim that one uh that is not in the bible actually uh the direct quote although there is teaching of like god's ways are above ours and beyond ours and it's hard for us to comprehend that kind of thing the direct quote the lord works in mysterious ways is not actually in the bible it is in a hymn so tricked first service in that one too so it's okay all right money is the root of all evil Oh, we got a little confusion there. Uh, It is not in the Bible. The quote is, what's the quote? The love of money. There we go. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, okay? All kinds of evil. So there we go. That was just some fun because now sometimes even our own like sayings that sound good, like I like that, you know, it sounds awesome, is not actually in scripture. And sometimes it's counter scripture, So often we look to uh, YouTubeology or TikTok theology or whatever, and we see a sweet quote. You're like, I like that. I'm gonna base my life off of that. And I'm like, what in the world are we doing, right? So how are we looking at sources for our scripture, and a lot of those end up being false teachings. And so this is what Peter goes to, and so we have to begin, as always, with the ultimate truth of scripture, and that, counter, uh, that counters other teachings. So there's a stark contrast in what we're gonna read in chapter two, uh, James, second Peter chapter two. There's a stark contrast between the inerrant, inspired word of God and false teachings, and we'll see this. False teachings we're gonna define here as any perspective or statement that claims to be truthful yet contradicts the Bible teaching. Any perspective or statement that claims to be truthful yet contradicts what the Bible teaches. That's what we're gonna foundation upon what is false teaching. So we're in chapter two, Second Peter chapter two. We're gonna read a lot, so follow along with me. Here we go, don't fall asleep, all right? Then we're gonna read the whole chapter, so here we go. But there are also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, swiftly bringing destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Again, direct against what Peter had said. Hey, I didn't make up these stories. We didn't invent cleverly, cleverly invented stories. These are fabricated stories for false teachers. Their condemnation has, not, has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed and depraved by the conduct of the lawlessness. For, what righteous, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his soul in the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority bold and arrogant they are not afraid to heap abuse on a celestial beings yet even angels although they are stronger and more powerful do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the lord but these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand they are like unreasoning animals creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed like animals they too will perish they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accused brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of, Baal, uh, the whale of ba- Balaam, son of Bazar, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he has rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, An animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrains the prophet's madness. This is some really strong words here. Really strong language. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. That's a crucial verse. Blackest darkness is reserved for them for they mouth empty boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the, corru- if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they're worse off in the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to a vomit and a sow that is washed returns her wallowing in the mud. Clearly, God takes the blasphemy of his word, and the contradiction of his word incredibly seriously. Because what God compares false teachers to are these instances. The angels, when they rebelled against God and they were cast out of heaven, were sent into hell. That is a comparison. The other comparison is the flood of Noah, which in scripture says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that, the Lord, that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. This is the comparison that Peter is making with people of false teachers. He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which in Genesis 19 says the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see for myself what has done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. This is what Peter is comparing false teachers to. Their condemnation, their sin, their complete and utter disregard for God's word and his holiness their rebellion against him. It is pretty daggum serious. That's official, dagum serious. God takes this very, very seriously because you have the comparison of God's word is inspired, it gives life, it is restoration, it is, it is, it is redeeming. For God sent his son not to, in the world not to condemn it, but to save the world through him. But then you have false teachers, that is very clear the condemnation and the evil that they are involved in in the rebellion against God. And there is a clear distinction between life-giving word of God and the false, life-sucking word of teachers. False teachers. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. What Peter is saying is: look at this. Look at these examples that God has done, and God can deal with false teachers and God is dealing with false teachers, that their condemnation is not gone, it is is healing over them. They can, God can, will, and is dealing with false teachings, because God's word prevailed through all of false teachings through all of history. This has proven over and over again through all of history And nothing has been added to it or taken away from it because Jesus says, not a word will be taken from my scriptures, not a word is taken from this. It has prevailed through all kinds of false teachings. God does defend his word and it shall prevail. And the other beautiful thing about it is this. If God knows how to bring righteousness, if God knows how to defend his word, God also says we, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And if God is good and right, then justice at some point has to be done. And those who rebel against him, God takes very seriously if they corrupt and contradict his word. So then we have the word is inerrant. But then we have, and we have, like we preached against a couple weeks ago, the apostles, we proved the validity of the apostles, and we proved the validity of the scriptures, and we prove we can through history and through all kinds of other uh, science and all kinds of backing, we've proved the authority and the inerrancy of scripture, the validity of the apostles. But then you have, on the other hand of false teachers, the empty character. You have empty character of false teachers. The mark of a false teacher is an empty character. Peter says this, their ways are shameful. They are greedy, bold, and arrogant. They carouse or drink plentiful amounts of alcohol in a noisy way in broad daylight. Their blots, their blemishes, their eyes are full of adultery. They never stop sinning, they seduce the unstable. They love the wages of wickedness. Again, really, really intense description of false teachings false teachers will be found out. Through this history, false teaching has been and will found out, God's word prevails and God defends his word. But remember, this whole game is about deception. It's that a lot of people will follow, many people will follow their depraved conduct of their ways. This is about deception. And people do follow false teachers. This has happened all throughout history. And it's not just past history, far back, but actually even recent history. There's a, there's a guy by the name of Keith Rainier. If anybody knows this name, he, he introduced uh, this scheme of, called Nexium. Had 18,000 followers, and it was a pyramid scheme. scheme in which, in order to get into this cult, women had to perform certain sexual acts. It was a heinous thing. And it actually started in 1998 and it went all the way until 2017 when all of it came out. I can go through, there's other cults, one called the Children of God or Teens for Christ. Man, that sounds great, right? Let's follow that. But the the, the preacher, David Berg, introduced false teachings and added to scripture and distorted scripture and what happened was they introduced the 60s love kind of movement into scripture and kind of merged the two and they dispersed of the, the core of families and basically nuclear family and all children were together and it ended up also in a whole bunch of sexual scandal. You can go through the Church of the Lamb of God, People's Temple, Heaven's Gates, I mean I can name them over and over again false teachers who have been found out and their moral character is garbage. The difficulty is not necessarily in the extreme though. It is in the subtle. After all, wasn't the first attack on man. Did God really say that? It wasn't how could you possibly believe that, but did God really say that? And it begins to creep in in just ways that we don't even always recognize and just by little sayings like, hey, money is the root of all evil. It begins to kinda creep in these different teachings. We have to be alert and attentive and we have to know his word to make sure that we take every thought captive in order to, to test it against God's word. Then you have that the word is fulfilling. The word is fulfilling, but empty promises are of false teachers. Empty promises are of false teachers. Peter says that they are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. It's this picture of a cruel deception of somebody in the desert, in longing and needing water, a cool drink of water, and they come upon this refreshing, what looks like this beautiful spring, but it is without water and he finds it completely dry so are the false promises of teachers who promise satisfying truth but in reality have nothing to offer they are gone before a drop of moisture falls you see second peter chapter 2 verse 19 says they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them it has resulted in this bondage to sin. Liberty has turned into a license to do whatever you want. For what shall we do then? Shall we continue to sin and do whatever we want? Shall we follow the depraved and corrupt ways of false teachers who offer freedom and say, hey, don't be bound by the law, don't be bound by God's word, or don't be bound by his rules and regulations? Shall we follow that and just go ahead and sin and say, hey, I'm free from that? No, Peter, Jesus, Paul says, shall we continue to sin even though we're not under the law but we're under grace? No, no, means. Thanks be to God that you are no longer slaves to sin. You have come to obey the heart pattern of our teaching that, claim, that have claimed your allegiance and you have been set free from sin. And now you have been set, when you were slaves to sin, it only resulted in death. What benefits did you reap from that? Death. But being a slave to God, what benefit do you reap from that holiness and eternal life? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Every false teaching has bondage. Every false teaching has bondage. Today's culture is, We can go through every single false teaching and every single lie from the culture and show the falseness of it and we can show the bondage to it. For example, self-helpism. Like I'm gonna just better myself. Then I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm gonna think positively. I'm gonna have the right energy and I'm just gonna have self-help to get me through this and fix my brokenness and that is unbiblical because only God can fix what is fundamentally broken within us. Naturalism, the belief that nature, natural causes and material things can explain all that happens in our world, that it's sufficient to explain everything. The bondage to that is what kind of purpose or what kind of hope do we actually have? It says that science and Christianity are at odds, also false, for science has never disproven God. It says that religion uses faith while science uses facts, but again, we have proven through history and through archeological finds that the basis of Christianity can be built upon facts. It's a beautiful thing. Postmodernism says that there is no truth. The truth is, says truth is that my truth is mine and yours is yours, it's subjective. The bondage of postmodernism is the subject, because what if the subject changes? What if the subject changes their desires and hopes and dreams, so also truth changes? Postmodernism treats us like naughty children who can't share a toy, and so because you're unkind with the toy and because I'm unkind with the toy or because you're unkind with your truth and I'm unkind with truth, then we just don't have any truth whatsoever, we're just gonna get rid of the toy. Nobody claims any truth, which leads to moral relativism. You can't tell me I'm wrong. I can't tell you you're wrong. Everybody has their own truth, their own definition. You define yourself however you want and nobody has any repercussions on that. How is that done for us so far? Because our depression continues to increase. Anxiety is continuing to rise. Unhappiness of people has never been as high as as it is now. Loneliness, I mean, I could continue on and on. How well is that doing for us? Emotionalism, you're a slave to your emotions. Follow your heart, it never lies. Be you, how well is that doing well for us? Pluralism, new spiritualism, I mean, I can go on and on. You know, and it boils down to this. I've never sat across from the table from somebody who said, hey, I think I'm God. I believe I'm God. Actually, that would probably help me because then I could just follow them away it was crazy and we can move on, okay? But I've sat and walked with a lot of people whose actions proclaim, yeah, I'm God. I define my own destiny. I define my own truth. This is who I am. This is how I identify. And we have a belief system where we are actually God. We've never said, hey, I believe God, I'm believe, I believe I'm God, watch this. But we function, and our belief system says that we have our own authority and we submit to nobody else's will and nobody else's authority, and we submit to no truth. We must be set free from this. Because I gotta be honest, like, we make pretty crummy gods. We're really terrible at it. I mean, I like you, but if that's how we behave and we we walk down these paths of false teaching that's proclaiming your own truth and you define yourself however and identify however. And if we go through all of these postmodern, whatever it may be, and we follow uh, Gnosticism and identify however truth we want to proclaim, you make a crummy God. Because we begin to do this I make my own authority, nobody decides what's right for me. Nobody decides what my truth is. We place upon ourselves a yoke that we are not strong enough to withstand, that we cannot bear. Because when you are your own God and you define your own truth, what happens is that you gotta also figure out what leads to fulfillment. How well have you done so far in this? Have you been nailing that one? Have my doubts. When you're not submitting to something greater than you or bigger than you, you carry this weight of what is my purpose in life? And how do I become fulfilled? All these false teachings, everything that contradicts scripture is an empty, empty spring that is dry, and it will not lead to fulfillment. And so we go from one thought and one ideology and one belief system and we say, well, this must be it. Must self-help, I could do this. And somewhere along the lines, we fail. So it like, must not be that, so I'm gonna come over here. and I'm gonna define my own truth. And no, there is no truth, and I'm just gonna kind of define what I want and my purpose. And then again, we fail. So we come over to this other thought and we just go from one ideology and one thought and one belief system and each one continues to fail and each one doesn't actually bring fulfillment. Well this can't be it. And we have this exhaustion of trying to get an answer to a question that's already been answered for us. He is our fulfillment. He fills the God-shaped hole in our lives that nothing else can. He is our joy, he is our hope, he is our future, he is our purpose. Perhaps the most common false teaching that goes on under the disguise of the gospel is moralism. I know I've gone through a lot, but moralism, typically what we do is we preach in evangelicals, evangelical churches that yes, by faith alone, in Christ alone, through scripture alone, this is how we are saved, yes, we get that. But then we begin to say, hey, fly right and do better. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work harder, clean your nose, get a good life, tell the truth and everything, God's gonna then bless you with everything and God's gonna multiply all these abundances for you. And we unwittingly then begin to make this kind of economic transaction with God. As long as I do what's right, God's gonna bless me with a house and a nice car and good family, and my kids aren't gonna stray, and I'm not gonna have any financial issues. As long as I do all these things right, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm saved by faith alone, but I'm gonna do all these good works in order for God to bless me. This is moralism and it's not biblical. Because, well, most of Christians in the world don't fall under what we define as a blessed life. The typical Christian in the world is actually an African American woman. They don't have the nice houses that we feel like we defined as a blessing from God or a, they don't have oftentimes the homes or the cars or the things that we call God is blessing me because I'm doing what's right. Christian Smith defined the term Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Defining what most of, a lot of teenagers, American teenagers believe. That God is basically relatively distant from our lives except in times of sadness and sorrow and then he'll draw, kneel and heal us. And then he wants us to be nice and kind and whatnot. God is so much more intimately involved in our lives than just a distant when we're hurt and pain and he shows up. God is intimately involved in every day in reading his word and God is intimately involved in our lives and wants a closeness with us. The difference between a gospel obedience and a moralistic or a legalistic kind of thinking is this. We obey in response to God's love shown to us through Jesus Christ. We don't obey in order to gain something from God. We obey and read his word out of a delight for his love for us, for God showed us love first and we simply respond. We don't obey so that we can have some kind of blessing over our lives, some kind of transactional authority that gives us then some God's love now. In fact, none of us can actually obey God to the standard that is required through Jesus. Our works are only acceptable because he receives them in and through Jesus Christ. Our obedience does not happen apart from the influence and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then others fall into this camp of antinomianism. Antimonianism—that's the one. Basically, can summed up like this: Once saved, anything goes. It's cool. You're saved. You do whatever you want. You know what Paul says about that? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace increases? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we then live in it any longer? Or don't you know that none of us we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we're also baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him and now when he rises we also rise to a new life. We've said it before, you're not saved by your good works but you are saved to do a good work. Faith, a faith that produces nothing shows no evidence that there is new creation, but you are only saved by your faith. You know what the most unified doctrine is in all of church history until the past 50 years? The most unified doctrine in church history is not actually the deity of Jesus, it's not actually the humanity of Jesus. It's not actually the authority of Jesus that he is equal authority of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's not actually that God was both human and God, or Jesus was both human and God. The things that are foundational for our faith, the most un- those things have been combated actually and debated. The most unifying th- doctrine in all of church history until the past 50 years is the doctrine of marriage. And churches have begun to go away from God's word. Just seems what's easy, what doesn't offend. It's incredibly vital that we base teaching off of scripture, that we base the teaching and our fundamental truth off of what scripture says. And here at the Wesleyan Church, we believe that scripture is all authority. We believe that scripture is inerrant. We believe that every person is created in the image of God. That human sexuality reflects that image in terms of intimate love, communication, fellowship, subordination to the self, to the larger whole, and fulfillment. God's word makes use of the marriage relationship as the supreme metaphor for his relationship with his covenant people and for revealing the truth that this relationship is one God and one people. Therefore, God's plan for human sexuality is that it be expressed only in a monogamous, lifelong relationship between one man and one woman within the framework of marriage. This is the only relationship in which is divinely designed for birth and the rearing of children and a covenant union made in the sight of God. We adhere to the teachings of Scripture regarding gender identity, sexual conduct, and the sacredness of marriage and believe that sexual relationships outside of marriage and sexual relationships between persons of the same sex are immoral and sinful. That is the Wesleyan stance on homosexuality. That is also the Wesleyan stance of sexuality in general. The sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's not right, it's not holy. And we may wanna say like, yeah, I preach it on the homosexuality thing, but then we go home and we look at pornography, and that's wrong too. Wesleyan Statements of Faith is what I read, and we could unpack that for a whole sermon. I mean, I, we do that in our student ministry, so I'd encourage you, but we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman and a lifelong relationship. You see, the beautiful thing that happened at the Reformation was that we returned the authority of Scripture. But then people started to get corrupt. Anytime a church would disagree with another church, they kinda just split. We reformed our own thoughts and our own identities and we formed our own beliefs of Scripture. We must return again to his word over and over again as the authority to understand, to combat, to recognize, and to take captive any teaching that contradicts this. Because if it does, it is wrong. What informs you, forms you. We have to get to a place where this informs us daily, where this informs, transforms, and continually forms our lives, so that we know the errancy of false teachings, so that we know the errancy and lies of what culture tells us. Please, do not be what Peter says. Describing people who were involved, they escaped sin and they knew the Lord Jesus, but then they went back into the entanglement and they got confused by false teachings. And so I beg you, fall in love with his word so you're also prepared against false teachings, but also, Read some other stuff that helps out. Those of you who have kids, grandkids, like bring your kids up in the church so that they actually hear biblical teaching rather than just teaching in the schools. That they actually hear biblical teaching than just what their friends wanna say. They actually hear biblical teaching rather than what TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat teaches them. Your children and your grandchildren, they have to be in church so they know what biblical teaching is and so we can build the foundation of our lives upon that. Not, about, not upon false teachings, which will ultimately and always fail, which will ultimately and always lead to unfulfillment. And so a good resource that I would encourage you to get is Mama Bear Apologetics. Super great, walks through lies of culture. It's good for anybody. The premise is you're a mom and you gotta help your kids know what is truth and you gotta combat the lies of culture but it's good for everybody. And So I encourage you, get your kids in kids ministry, get your students into student ministry, get your children here and you yourself be here so that you can be, build your foundation of your life upon his word and not upon false teachings which will ultimately and always fail. As I was driving to church this morning, I listened to a song called Available And in the song, it says, it's my joy to say yes to you. It's my honor to say yes, whatever it looks like. And I honestly was not prepared for the sermon today because I got the call last night. And I was like, oh, snap. But I recognized like, hey, I'm gonna say yes. And it's my joy to say yes. Yes even when I feel inadequate and unprepared. I'm gonna teach his word. And I understand the weight of what it is to be up here on stage proclaiming what is truth. I understand the weight of that because it's not just what I'm saying is truth for me and what is truth. I'm saying what's truth for you and what's truth for everybody. That's really, really weighty. And I don't ever want to mess it up. And sometimes I may need you to keep me accountable and you may need somebody to keep you accountable. Because we can't fall into the trap of what Peter says of people following the misconduct and the lies of a false teacher. And so I come before you simply humbly saying, hey, I want to proclaim truth always and only truth. And understand the weight of it. But we got to know his word. And if I ever slip up or if I ever teach wrong, you have the right to keep me accountable. But let's keep y'all, let's keep all of each other accountable. Let's keep all of each other accountable. Knowing his word, delighting in his word, building our lives upon the foundation of his word so that false teaching does not creep in so that false teaching does not lead us astray. It will never lead to fulfillment. Jesus and Jesus alone does that. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that before your word was on pages, you existed at the beginning, before the beginning. And before your word was on pages, your word became flesh in Jesus. So Jesus, help us to take every thought captive, to turn to your word, to combat any teaching that is not of your word. Help us to recognize and keep each other accountable. Help us to call out false teaching Help us not to be led astray and help us to build our lives on your word. We love you. It's in your precious, holy, and sufficient name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesley.com.